Are you a brew head? I'm a brew head. Are you a brew head? I'm a brew head. Y'all a brew heads? Yeah, we brew heads. So pour a glass of craft beer. We can do this. Yeah. What's good, y'all? This is Sing Certified Brewhead, and welcome to episode 112 of Beer and Other Shit Podcast Adjunct Series. This evening, we have a fantastic episode, as always. I've uh, been looking forward to doing this one, and you'll understand why once we get into it. However, right before we get started, of course, this episode is brought to you once again by Manscaped. It is, uh, we're recording this the uh, Black Friday Eve, and uh, of course, this is the perfect time for, uh, you know, deals mate so if you're looking to get yourself trimmed up or someone in your life to get trimmed up you might want to hear what we have to say here and these ad reads are actually usually pretty damn funny so this holiday season i'll be giving thanks to our friends over at manscaped everyone loves turkey and stuffing but you'll be looking like dessert with the help of manscaped's performance package 4.0 the leaders in below the waist grooming have blessed you with the ultimate thanksgiving dinner topic tell your in-laws about the new cutting edge ball trimmer and gift yourself or the man in your life the ultimate men's hygiene bundle trim your pumpkins by going to manscaped.com and use the code b-a-o-s for free shipping and 20 percent off and i actually think it's 25 percent off um so uh you know we worked with manscaped last year they have been super cool reached back out again to do some stuff this year i've been using it ever since maybe that's tmi but uh you know we're all about it so think your holiday spread is good it's time to give thanks to the manscaped performance package 4.0 or as i like to call it the package perfect package for your package this is him right here inside you'll find their lawnmower 4.0 trimmer weed whacker which is the uh, the nose hair thing, which I also use all the time. Super handy for uh, keeping yourself trimmed up. I hate long-ass ear hairs. It's so gross. Uh, crop preserver and bowl deodorant. So that's these bad boys. It's a little uh, deodorant things. And um, a travel bag to hold your goodies. Oh, crop res- yeah, reviver toner. I guess that's that. Yeah, boom. Uh, think of it as a cornucopia for your balls. Their lawnmower 4.0 trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade. That's a little white bad boy right there to reduce grooming accidents. Thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. It also gives you the ability to turn the 4,000 K led spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. Look at that right there, mate. Ooh, it's ready to go. Uh, plus it's waterproof. Uh, the performance package 4.0 also includes the weed whacker to chop your worst weeds up on top of your nose and ear. There we go. Uh, this nose and ear hair trimmer uses a 9,000 RPM motor-powered 360-degree rotary dual-blade system to provide proprietary skin-safe technology which helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate holes. <laughs> Can't forget the Manscaped liquid formulations, a crop preserver bowl deodorant, and crop reviver toner spray uh, like pumpkin pie and ice cream after Thanksgiving dinner. That's funny. Can't live without it. Your balls will be living in turkey heaven with these formulations. <clears throat> As if this wasn't enough, it's time to do the dishes with Manscaped shower products. That's these bad boys right here. Uh, lather some of Manscaped's refined body wash. Is this the body wash? Yes, it is. Boom. I haven't tried these yet. Um, fuck, I lost where I'm at. God damn it. On uh, their brand new signature body buffer, which is the little, what's this thing called? This guy, like a little um, scrubber thing. Loving it. And give yourself the lather and rinse your body deserves. Raise, lose the loofah and exfoliate your mates. No hygiene routine is complete without the Manscaped signature deodorant as well, which is, oh shit, hold on the computer there. This guy. Boom. The, uh, a couple of swipes of this and you'll be feeling oh so crisp. Gifting Manscaped is the ultimate hack to become the family favorite. So you get 20% off, but once again, I think it's pretty sure it's 25 for Black Friday specifically. 
Uh, and free shipping with the code BAOS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Code BAOS. Be thankful this holiday season for the best gift of all from Manscaped. Your balls will thank you as always. And with that, um, what we're going to do is get the podcast started. So, like I said, now this was uh, a part I've been wanting to do. We connected about four years ago, and um, I was very surprised recently, um, pleasantly surprised when I visited the brewery, and I was just so incredibly impressed with everything that I was seeing. So, uh, guys, please welcome Griffin from Newark Brewery in the building. There we go. How you doing, brother? Yeah, hey, pretty good. How about you? Fantastic. Thank you for hanging out, man. Um, like I said, that we finally got to connect. Uh, like I said, we we connected. Like we were trying to figure it out beforehand. It must have been like four years ago. And yeah, what has changed? What has been happening in your world from what uh, from what I can see, which is great. Oh shit, we lost him. Griffin is gonna call back in a second. Yes, when we connected, it was back when, and this is something big we're going to be talking about. Back when uh, Newark was a contract dealer. So I'm very excited to hear that story. We got you back. Oh, there he is. We got you back. Last in a total of like five seconds. <laughs> <laughs> it happens to the best of us. It's all good, man. Um, I was just saying, so, you know, we connected back when you were contracting. Um, and there's a whole new world of what's happening at uh, Newark right now. So I'm very excited to, to hear about it. First things first. We're going to crack open a brew. Most definitely. Let's do it. What are we starting with, bro? Uh, we're going to start with our uh, Hellas Lager. Perfect. So, let's tell us about this one. Yeah, really traditional uh, Hellas Lager, mm. Pilsner, Pilsner Malt, and uh, Hauertau hops. Uh, I like to keep things real simple with the recipes. Uh, kind of like to go with uh, less is more. Love it. As is the, uh, you know, required with the. Uh, Crispies. Mm-hmm. So back in the day, you had this one and you had the Dunkel, if I recall correctly. Is that yeah, right? the, uh, the Dunkel was actually our, our first beer that we came out with. Um, okay. We, um, I was a big fan of the style, and um, especially in the fall, that was kind of my go-to. Wow. And uh, finding uh, finding options outside of pretty much Erdinger and the LCBO was uh, next to none at the time. Um, so I figured there was a nice niche there that, uh, people weren't really tapping into. So yeah, that was the original, uh, original okay. focus. Do. I think that's super interesting. Cause I feel like for a, a newer brewery, particularly a brewery that was, um, contracting at the time to come out with a Dunkel is a, uh, unique option. Um, how did, how was it received? Uh, really well. Really well. We actually, um, so we launched our first first brew in March of 2019. Uh, so we were just strictly in uh, uh, bars and restaurants. And uh, we got a lot of positive feedback on, okay, it's looking pretty dark, but um, it doesn't taste heavy or anything like that. So right. that's uh, the common misconception with a lot of uh, kind of mainstream drinkers. Yeah. And um, so I, I kind of just on a whim applied to get the dunk on the LCBO and uh, we ended up getting a full-time listing uh, November of 2019, which I think is a nod to how underrepresented the category was. Mm, that's pretty good. Like that to a turnaround is, uh, is quite fast for, um, for something like that. 
So, and for a star like that too, I think that's a great point. But that's looking at the uh, the hell is right there. Man, cheers. Great to connect. Yeah, cheers. Fantastic. Tell us about the beer. Yeah, so uh, traditional uh, German Helles lager, um, 100% Pilsner malt, um, and then Hollertau uh, just at the end there for a little bit of aroma. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, we let the process shine through. Uh, we try to lager as much much as we can, which generally works out to about four weeks. Okay. Yeah, and just mellow out that flavor and yeah, just make it nice, super crisp. Love it. That's awesome, man. Um, it's it's tasting pretty traditional. I'm getting the um, like the nice sort of multi sweetness, um, grassy sort of herbal bitterness in there, which is exactly what uh, what you're expecting. Super crushable, dry, makes you want to come back for another sip. Wicked head, great nose. Yeah, man. Solid. It's good stuff. Are you um are you filtering the beers, or did I pour this one too heavy? Uh, yeah, we, uh, we don't filter right now or well, well we do filter like pretty loosely. So um, gotcha. there's some stuff that settles out, but, um, yeah, yeah I like keeping a lot of flavor in there. <laughs> hey man, I'm with it. Yeah. I, I prefer the, uh, you know, leave everything in all the flavor in. I'm here for it, dude. So this is great. So back when we, like you said, you had this one and you had the Dunkel, um, did, you obviously kept both of those recipes, which is great. The Dunkel is still in LCBOs, still just in distro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, we're, so, we're still in the LCBO. Um, we had to focus more locally um, after the pandemic, um, just because kind of the regulations that came into place with the uh, dealing with the LCBO and us being a contract brewer. It didn't really make sense to uh, try and expand the brand Ontario wide. So we kind of uh, bided our time until. Um, the pandemic was semi behind us, um, made a big focus on local while we were uh, kind of in tandem with opening up our own location. And then uh, now we've actually uh, partnered with a new sales agency to uh, yeah, try and take it Ontario wide now. Amazing. I love that, dude. The intention, I imagine, is starting at contracting and the contracting is something that I really want to get into, like the success story from you know, starting how you did, getting it as SKU and LCBO and then leveraging all of that, you know brand awareness and, and income and everything into a, uh, a physical space. The, um, shit, where was I going with that? God damn it. No, we talked about, what, what, what did I say? I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm fucking brain fart. Uh, contract contracting. There was a point. There was a good point. I'll, I'll, I'll come back to it if I think of it, but the, um, yeah, it's, it's dope to see that the, the growth, from having all of that back in the day and then and then taking that to um to where you're at now expanding the lineup as well um and i definitely want to go into obviously there's a a theme that um it's pretty obvious here that's um you're doing a lot of crispy boys almost exclusively if i'm not mistaken is that correct um we do uh german and belgian so german yeah, like our most of our distributed products are German brands, um, but we do some uh, smaller batch uh, Belgian stuff. And um, cool. I do eventually want to get into having a, a barrel program to do uh, some traditional lambic and goes and venture down that territory. Fun man, that's awesome. Okay, big big uh, big goals. So let's take it back to the beginning. I want to hear the story of how you personally discover craft beer and then how that beer journey led you into starting your own uh, business 
Yeah, so I, uh, I actually have a uh, degree in biochemistry. So I worked, uh, I graduated in 2012 from Brock, worked in the uh, pharmaceutical industry for a bit. And then um, the company I was working with, um, they I had a year contract for them. They weren't sure if they had enough funding to keep me on. So I was like, okay, well, I got I to gotta find something else. So um, Molson Coors was actually hiring at the time. Um, they were kind of just looking for people that, with essentially university degree, really. Hmm. Um, so I kind of applied on a whim, got an interview, got the job. Um, again, just another like six month contract. And then, uh, so I started working there. Um, what was the job? Uh, I was a centrifuge operator there. Cool. So, yeah. Okay. So production side. All right. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of sitting at a computer and pushing buttons, but then, uh, they did the old school way of uh, hopping in the tanks and uh, pushing the keys pretty much like you're shoveling snow out of the tanks. So interesting. That was, a, that was a good balance to get some workouts in. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, I was working there. I was enjoying, enjoying my time there. Um, and then I was actually working with a guy. Um, I'm, I'm from Niagara region. So um, he actually lived in the falls and he told me that he was doing the Niagara college brewmaster program. And I was like, Oh, well, what is that? So I started looking into more of that and um, kind of the whole process and what it entailed. And I was like, you know what? It's like, I'm at a point in my life where I can, I can afford to do this and it's not too much of a time commitment. So I applied kind of waited it out and uh, worked at some uh, wineries in the meantime, did a couple of harvests there and then finally got into the program uh, that was 2014. Okay. Did the program, graduated in 2016, and then we uh, we went on a big trip uh, to Germany as a class after uh, graduation. So I, I fell in love with the process and the beer culture there. And um, me and a, a friend of mine, Justin, we uh, we extended our trip uh, a couple more weeks. So we kind of did a wow. European beer tour, hit a Bayern, Prague, uh, Belgium, and. Um, uh, Ireland. Cool. And, uh, yeah, we, uh, did all that. So got to see the Belgian side of things too. And then I came back from that trip. I did a brief stint up at Sada city in Gravenhurst. came back, did some more winery work. And then I ended up getting a, uh, a job at, um, a cidery, a local cidery here that, um, they do a lot of, uh, contract packaging for uh, people. So um, I was the production lead there. So spent about three years there. And then kind of during all this time, I, I, I kind of knew I was leaning towards eventually being my own boss one day. And then uh, came up with the, uh, the idea of kind of focusing on uh, traditional European style beer. Ooh, lost him again. Hopefully uh, this is just a temporary thing. I love hearing that story though. I want to go to Belgium and Germany, man. We got you. All right. <laughs> That's all good. So focusing on the uh, European style beers and then kind of, yeah, taking a bit of a left turn when kind of everybody's going right towards uh, more hoppy, more kind of outrageous and see kind of testing the limits of beers. So I wanted to focus on, uh, yeah, just bringing uh, good, fresh European style beers to Canadians and they don't have to have beer that's been sitting on a, uh, shipping container for three months, right? Of course. Which is uh, 
always one of the downsides of sort of you know being over here and the the LCBO rules as far as you know if they're not in a shipping container they're in a warehouse arguably probably not stored at the temperature they need to be so whilst you can get some of the classics that you would have experienced they're not I imagine because I have I've been to a bunch of Europe but I didn't go there when I knew anything about beer so I didn't get to experience you know Pilsner Raquel fresh from the source or anything like that like it's, I imagine it's like night and day from what you would have had there to what we get here. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, it literally doesn't compare. And I mean, I'm sure some of that is kind of like a time and a place thing. Like hmm. you're sitting at a pub in Germany, it's obviously going to taste better. But yeah, yeah. it does not compare. Do you so even, I, go, go ahead. I was going to say, do you even buy it? Do you even, would you even waste your money? No? Um, I do sometimes more so, um, I like to try kind of everything and, uh, if I haven't had something in a while, I'll see it on the shelf and I'll just, uh, I'll just try one or sometimes I bring in, bring some beers to the guys at uh, the brewery and, uh, we try a bunch of stuff and kind of see, see what we like, see what we don't like and kind of compare them to our beers and what we can do, right? Yeah, that's smart. That's smart. Um, Okay, sick. So that makes sense. So then you decide you you know you experienced that and you were like, well, it would make more sense. I mean, and you what year was this when you decided this? Was this twenty? Yeah. So I I decided I was going to go into business for myself in twenty eighteen. Okay. And I uh, I decided I was like, you know what? I kind of hemmed and hawed for a few months, and um, I was like, you know what? I'm like, I just I I just need to jump at it and just start, and then I can kind of learn as I go. And then uh, at least I'm, 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 I'm moving in the right direction. Right. So, so November of 2018, I, uh, I filed for my master business license, uh, bought some kegs, kind of got all that sorted out. And then, um, March 2019 is when we did our first contract batch, about 2000 liters of just kegs. Um, what'd you do that at? Uh, taps brew house in Niagara Falls. Okay. I don't think I've been there, but I've heard of it. Cool. Yeah, they uh, they're brew pub and they do a little bit of contract for people, and they were really the only people that um, were kind of below thirty five hundred liters per a batch, and didn't really um, didn't really expect uh, yearly minimums, right? So I was like, well, okay, this is kind of like a low risk spot. I can try it out. And it worked out. Perfect. Okay. And uh, where did you sell those first kegs? Like, did they help you distro, or did you like go door knocking? How did that work? Yeah, I would essentially, I would be working full-time uh, Monday to Friday, and then I'd kind of set up meetings with bars and restaurants on the side. Okay. Uh, meet with them. Well, it's kind of a nightmare because what restaurant wants to meet mm. like 6 o'clock on a, on a Thursday or Wednesday, right? Like that's yeah. dinner time. So, But I didn't have the luxury of being able to meet like at 3 o'clock in the afternoon because I was you know, trying to make a living still. So, yeah, so we, uh, we had a few... Mm. Uh, few local licensees pick us up um and then my that boss was, actually oh, go ahead that was just the dunkel right back then yeah just okay. just the dunkel gotcha yeah we didn't, uh, we didn't expand to the hellas until we uh we went into cans with the dunkel so it was actually my boss that uh boss at the time that uh recommended he's like why don't you just do cans he's like just try it like there's the type these types of cans you can get like they're pretty low uh low order minimums you can try it out and yeah just go for it so i was like okay fine i'll go for it it's a good guy yeah and then i um i went and looked uh at kind of the lcbo and that whole process <clears throat> how it worked 
and it was like, okay, well, I can apply for nothing, and I'll just see. And it's like the worst thing they can say is no, right? So, but I was like, all right, well, I got uh, got a tasting, and then I found out that I was uh, getting launched into 128 stores. <laughs> And that was um, right as you already got cans done, or did you come in with like a keg to do the tasting? <clears throat> um, what did I do? What did I, do? <clears throat> I think I had, I think I had some sample cans made up actually. So I packaged, I think I packaged some with my beer wand and uh, <laughs> nice. that the LCBO because I uh, I use the uh, the can seamer at my at my work. Right, um, that's yeah. smart. hustler. Yeah. I like that. So. Once you got the LCBO listening, you're like, all right, now i got to do some serious runs. Yeah, yeah, because that was 128 stores and 256 uh, cases. Okay, two so, per store. Right, so you're like, I need to – what size batch would that be? So some quick math, 256 times 11.352. That must be how many liters in a. Yeah, so that's about uh, that's about three thousand, roughly. Okay, so it's not even that much more than the batches that you did were doing keg only. So, that's yeah. Um, the thing with uh, what did I do there? Oh no, so I switched. Uh, I switched out to Equals in London. Okay. Um, I heard great things. I had them on the pod. They're great. Ju- is it Justin? Yep. Yeah, I yeah. dealt with him. Good dude. Yes, yeah, so they were uh, they were great to deal with. Um, it was nice to nice to deal with them because I was somebody new that was kind of just getting into the game, so they kind of understood kind of the problems and stuff I was going through. So uh, they agreed to do a batch there for me, canned it, and that was uh, that was where we got the uh, the supply for the uh, the LCBO. And then um, yeah, we launched. We had a good, obviously, good fall and winter because of the style of beer. So I had actually. My old boss, he was starting up a sales agency for his cidery. It was um, Putty Coke Cider. And um, I was like, well, would you be willing to represent my beer, just be the only beer that you guys represent? And he was like, oh, yeah, 100%. So we were gearing up towards kind of having a big push for spring 2019. And then obviously March happened. And um, found out quickly that um, – the LCBOs um, didn't want you calling the LCBOs, didn't want you showing up to LCBOs for sales agents purposes. Mm. So unless we wanted to, well, I say we, but it was just me at the time. So unless I wanted to um, dump a whole bunch of money into advertising where I was contract brewing and the margins were super tight as it was, I couldn't really afford to, and it didn't really make sense at the time. So we kind of just bided our time and, because of the nature of the uh, the pandemic, our listings just constantly went down. So we kind of dealt with it, dealt with it, dealt with it. And then uh, 2020, I ended up uh, leaving my job um, around October, thinking that things were kind of going to make Smooth a turnaround and make things easier. Found out that wasn't the case very quickly. And then uh, so I just focused on uh, – kind of business development, uh, making sure that when we did find the location that we wanted, we would have kind of everything in place and we could hit the ground running. Mm. That was kind of my winter 2020 or sorry, winter 2021. And then we, um, 
we were uh, constantly looking for a location, kind of keeping our eyes open in the Niagara region. Um, the original plan was for the brewery in Niagara Lake, which is my hometown. But uh, but I live in uh, Beaversville now too. And um, the original plan was there. So we were kind of keeping our eyes open for the Niagara region. And then uh, my business partner, Mike, uh, ended up actually meeting um, a friend of his at the grocery store randomly. And she was asking about the, uh, the business. And she said, oh, you got to talk to the town of Lincoln. Um, they're looking, they're doing a big push for economic development and, uh, tourism. So I think, I think it was the next day they called me the next morning and they're like, Hey, here, you got a brewery. Like we think you'd be a fit here after looking at all your stuff. Um, bench brewery is also in Lincoln. So, um, we kind of have two different things going on. So we, uh, we complement each other very well. So, um, they had about three or four locations already picked out for me to look at. Um, they ended up helping us find the the best one, and then we um, signed the lease in 2021. Got all the paperwork, everything with the town um, settled before we moved in January 1st, 2022, and then we opened our tap room May 20th, 2022. Wow! Wow! Oof. Okay, looks like we're going to have a whole bunch of drops this episode, but it's okay, guys. Just uh, bear with us. That's fascinating. Um, oh, here we go. We got you back. We got you. Yeah. So a good stretch there without a disconnect. So yeah. And so all good. We'll, we'll keep this going. So, okay. This is fascinating. So before we keep going with the, um, actual physical, it, it didn't cut you off by the way. Like it finished, you finished like right at the end of your sentence. It was perfect. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which is great. So I wanted to ask from the beginning, why did you decide to start, with contract brewing, like what made that a, a, an attractive option for you? Um, I didn't really have, I didn't have tons of capital. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had some, but not enough to, uh, to warrant uh, opening up my own space. And I knew that if I wanted to get people kind of on board with my idea, I needed, I needed something that they could physically hold. So I needed the logo done. I needed the can design. I needed the beer type. I needed the beers actually brewed here you can try it versus like, Hey, here's my homebrew. Like it, um, yeah, it same. resonates <clears throat> extremely more with people that when you actually have that. Right. And did any, I mean, I was saying to you off air, I mean, people who watch the podcast know we've talked about it a bunch in the past, but the, you know, there was always like a, what I always felt as a ridiculous kind of like a, I wouldn't say pushback, but just sort of like a not so positive connotation about contract brewing. Um, in Ontario, and it kind of was sanctioned by the o- OCB, if I'm not mistaken, uh, with regard to tax, uh, or at least they were looking at it, like not offering the same tax benefits to contract brewers as uh, brick and mortar brewers. Um, did that? Did any of like that ever sort of hit you? And sort of, you know, did you consider any of that stuff, or was it like I didn't give, I didn't care, or did you not even know that maybe? And when I say all of this, just to I reckon it was like a subset of the beer scene felt that way, but the average person who goes in the LCBO is going to have no idea what contract brewing even means. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it played a part in me actually not going forward with it, but once we got into it, there was a lot more challenges because we were a contract brewer. You'd okay. go to places and they'd be like, Oh, like, where are you from? And it's like, Oh, or like, where, where's your brewery? And it's like, Oh, okay. It's not like that. Like it's, we actually don't have our own space, but so essentially every, every interaction over the beer, you're kind of explaining that same, same story. Right. Mm. So we, uh, that was one of the challenges we had. And then, um, 
Yeah, you kind of have this, yeah, there is a negative connotation in the beer community about contract brews because, I mean, I can, I can essentially go to a contract brewer and be like, hey, I want a light lager, kind of give me what, give me the best you got. I don't need to know anything about beer. I don't need to know recipes, none of that. Um, but the difference with me was I actually went to these places. I gave them my recipe, my process, and it was, it was all me, right? They were just essentially carrying out the actions. Were you happy with their results? Yeah, yeah. Everything, uh, there wasn't a, I think the only batch of beer I would say I wasn't happy with was uh, my first batch of Hellas, but it was like, it tasted really good. It was just, it was just a bit too on the hoppy side. I added a bit too much Hallertau there at the end. So um, that was just a slight adjustment I had to make, but the beer was still good. It was just, it was just not where I fully intended it to go. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. Um, interesting that, uh, you were sort of having, you know, you know, having pushback or at least hearing about being contract brewer. So that means that it's sort of like, not just the scene, but it's the industry who, who have a bit of a misconception about what it is. Um, I imagine that was like bars and restaurants that would be questioning you and they would would some of them be like, Oh no, I'm not going to like, did someone, did any of them make the decision not to stock you because you're all contracting? Um, if they did, they never told me that. <laughs> Cause I guess that's pretty bad. Yeah. Okay. Did you get so, the vibe from some of them who asked too many questions about the contracting that like, Oh, they're not going to take me because of this. Uh, bars and restaurants. It was mainly like, you kind of explain that whole thing about not bringing it yourself, having somebody else. And they, that was kind of like, Oh, okay. Now I know what the deal is right also it was out of curiosity not bias or more so yeah just um hey where where's your brewery gotcha which is like i I can't you can't really give them an answer with without explaining right so gotcha um i wonder if some of the more um how would you describe them like the the known beer bars around ontario you know who exclusively deal with craft brewers and you know not like a pub that maybe might stock some you know, Labatt and Molson products and then, and then craft stuff. Those ones, did you ever deal with any of those guys? Uh, yeah. So we, uh, one of our better customers is actually, uh, Iggy's in Font Hills. So they, uh, they strictly do, uh, craft beer and kind of always change things up. Yeah. And they were, uh, they were one of our, uh, best licensees there for a while. Cause, um, I remember, I remember dropping off two 30 liter kegs for, for them. And, uh, they tapped them, and I think they the first two like lasted a day. Damn. It was wild. Yeah, so my That's my awesome. my wife's friend ended up going in there and was like, "Oh, they already said they ran out of Newark," and I'm like, "Holy shit! They just tapped it yesterday." <laughs> That's awesome, man. Okay, that's good then, because I, I was sort of maybe thinking that it would be pushback for it, but it was more a lack of understanding. That's encouraging then, and maybe I was even thinking. Like the, the, the time, to be fair, the time frame when everyone, there was a thing, obviously you were involved in beer back then, like 2015, 16, 17 or so, um, were really pushing back because there was this misconception that the only, like you said, anybody can go to a brewer and be like, Hey, go to equals, go to Brunswick, go to what, you know, common good or whatever. Be like, Hey, I want to do this beer, this style you know help me with a logo and a name boom anybody can do it and there was always the word marketing companies was thrown around um and that was a very negative thing in beer probably coming from a place of uh you know beer is a protective industry that people are very very passionate as you know 
Like, and then they were worried about maybe out, not outsiders in that way, but just like people who didn't really care about being there just in it for the money. Like you get into beer just for money anyway. Um, yeah. You know, getting into it for the wrong reasons. So people got protective about it to the point where it was a little bit silly. But I, now that you explain the timeline, I think you kind of like missed, like you skipped that era, um, which is good to hear. Yeah. Okay. Sick. Um, second thing was, so I want to ask about why contract brewing and how, just before we get into the actual brewery itself and sort of what's happening there, like, how do you feel that contract brewing helped you get to where you're at? Like, was it absolutely essential? Like you could not have done it without it. Like, you know, and if that's the case, what, what, you know, what were the pros and cons of all the different things along the way? Aside, you talked about the brief things where you had to explain it, but yeah, were there, how do you feel about that? Um, so there's a few things. Uh, so I met, alluded to earlier the um, kind of having something that's concrete in your hand. Hey, I've actually have this. We have some sales. Uh, we big thing was having an LCBO listed product. Right. Um, so having that was definitely a plus. Versus, um, I think I had a couple conversations with people prior to actually having the product and um, kind of trying to pitch them my idea. And it, it's, it's just, it's just tough when you don't have anything to put in front of them. Gotcha. So that was a big plus. The other plus was that when we actually went to uh, open up our bricks and mortar spot, um, we had three, three years of financials we could show the bank. Ah, Albeit they weren't the greatest financials, but it was, Hey, I can work full time. I can run this business the same and we're not going to go under. Right. So they go, okay, you can sustain a business. We'll give you a little bit more leeway kind of thing. Gotcha. Okay. So it was a, a pretty, pretty key sort of path for you to take going from the contracting to the, to the brewery itself. Yeah. Yeah. And it also, um, it kind of gave me a little, uh, a little dip into the business pool and kind of see if that's the rug that I wanted to take and do long term. And if I absolutely hated it, I could kind of cut my losses and I wouldn't be kind of too far into it. So smart. Yeah. That's actually a really good point. Maybe something that uh, a lot of folks underestimate because you don't know what it's going to be like. You don't know if you're going to, you know, it might be fun homebrewing, but unless you're actually doing all, you know, on a big system and, dealing with the things that come with owning a brewery. It's not just the you know, brewing. That's the one part of it. The rest of it's a whole thing. Um, I like that, man. I think that's a, a really intelligent approach to it. Um, I was just always curious. Like I was saying to you off air that like, I, you know, there's a, a handful of breweries I can think of that I know I knew them when they were contracting. I've seen them go to a, um, a bricks and mortar. And I'm always just super impressed and super proud, maybe because I was sort of very active around the time where everyone was hating and I was friends with a bunch of the people who were contracting who now have bricks and mortars. And, um, oh, dropped again. Maybe it's like every 10 minutes or something. This is weird. It doesn't always happen. But it's okay. At least it's like a real quick recovery. And chats to you guys if you remember the contract brewing combos. All right. We're good. Um the yeah so i'm probably a little more like i don't know if i'm gonna say sensitive about it but i always had a chip on my shoulder about it because it always pissed me off that people were uh you know i have a business i'm an, i consider myself an entrepreneur i've got multiple businesses so i very much respect anyone who has the guts to start a business and i think that 
you know, um, if you look at it, contracting is the way you described it. It's the most intelligent um, way to approach beer. I mean, you can go balls to the wall and drop $2 million on a brewery or whatever. But then, like you said, what if it's not what you thought it was? Or what if it's too hard? Or what if a pandemic comes and you can't get, you know, the production facilities and stuff? You can't get everything you need. Like, there's so many things that can go wrong that sort of building up to it seems smarter to me just any ask anyone who's in business right it's just beer is so passionate about uh the product that they're just worried about someone who doesn't really care about it but the ones who do stick it out like obviously that's what you've done which is great yeah yeah it's um yeah i mean it's a good good stepping stone for uh, a certain subset of people that um kind of want to dip their toes in the water and see what it's like and it's like us at a different point in my life, maybe later on where I have kids that are older and I got some more extra capital lying around and want to do a passion project. I might just dive right into it. Right. So. Interesting. So if there's people watching now who are considering doing it or I know we have a a reasonable industry, um, you know, viewer audience base um, that maybe there's someone, you know, working at a brewery as a brewer position or, or something like that and want to, do something of them of their own, which is completely fair because a lot of people have those aspirations. Like, would you recommend contract brewing to people if they asked you? Um, I would say so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially now, like the space is getting so much, so much larger. So you don't actually have like one or two options. You have like seven or eight options now. Like, pretty much, I think in the GTA, it's 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 pretty impressive how many how many people have gotten to that space. So. Now, um, yeah, there's a lot more variety to you and, um, yeah, yeah, I would hundred percent recommend it. Just, it just makes sense. Yeah. To, to try things out. And, um, especially if you don't have access to a lot of capital right away, it'll, it'll definitely pay its dividends in the long run. Hmm. Love it. Love to hear it. Um, I just realized the time. Do you want to hit the next beer? Uh, yes, I do. <laughs> Let's do it. What are we thinking? So we got a uh, light lager here. We did yeah uh, so the, uh, the high yeah light lager. Uh, we did it in a collaboration with uh, 977 Hits FM uh, down in St. Catherine. Uh, so we did a uh, we did a contest for naming the beer. Uh, a bunch of people wrote in, and uh, then we picked the top five, and then uh, people got to vote on their favorite and high yeah. One by pretty much a landslide. Um, so if you ever listen to the radio station, the, uh, the DJs on there like to say that phrase a lot. So we figured it was uh, it was natural that uh, we went with that name. Interesting. That makes sense. That's pretty funny. Um, and is this one was it was this one? Would you consider it like a collaboration, or is it like a beer that you did like for the radio, just for them? Like, what would you sort of consider this one? Yeah, I would say um, it's it's a, it's a bit of both. So, yeah, we did it in collaboration with them, but because because uh, their parent company is Bell Media, they don't want to kind of associate directly with a beer. So we kind of had to get creative. If you, if you see on the back, we don't actually say like 97.7. Their logo is not on the can, but, you know, we use kind of some of their styles and made it super obvious that uh, that was the partnership there gotcha so it's like a cheat okay that's really smart though man did um how did that one come about um we got approached by them just about doing kind of uh, 
radio advertising. And uh, we had gotten to the, the private label stage with a uh, baseball team out in Welland, uh, the Welland Jackfish. So uh, we developed a brand with them, uh, the Jackfish uh, Pond Water Lager. So um, we, served that, uh, we served that beer at the stadium. And uh, we had a lot of success with that. So we decided that uh, we would just pitch the idea to them about um, doing something together and doing kind of a brand, co-branded beer. And they, they jumped on it. They were super excited. And uh, uh, Soper and Brown were excited. Um, so just it was, it was a natural fit. Helped uh, helped coincide with the launch of our brewery. So kind of gave us a good good jump start. So, yeah. All in all, it was a great, uh, great partnership. Here for it. Cheers, brother. Solid. Tell us about this one. Yeah, so it's a uh, 4% uh, light lager. Again, uh, very simple ingredients. Uh, we just we wanted something that's got a bit of flavor, uh, not overpowering, but kind of kind of drag that uh, mainstream consumer in into the brewery. Have something that uh, kind of can appeal to everybody. And if somebody uh, drinks Bud Light their whole life, and you give them this, and it's like, oh, oh, it's really different. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not. Uh, I'm not feeling bloated after one or yeah, hammered after two. <laughs> yeah, all that too. Have you found I always find that the uh the other conversation I always find really fascinating is the gateway brewing convo uh, gate, gateway beer convo, sorry. Um being that gateway beers can kind of be anything. Um I found, you know, you could you could say that the you know existing bud or whatever macro beer drinkers would love something like this, a light lager that's not you know, it's got more flavor than what they're used to, but it's not too much, and it's familiar color and all that stuff. You know, there's other styles. I feel like New England IPAs bring people over because it's not bitter. It's, you know, fruity and stuff, and, and sour beers typically appeal to white wine drinkers and stuff. Um, have you found that this or any of the products that you've done are, you know, converting people? Yeah, yeah. So uh, a good buddy of mine, his dad had only drank pretty much Bud Light his whole life, and he's uh, – tried the high yeah and he was he was hooked um there's a few a uh, few customers at the brewery that um are from town that we've uh, we've converted and uh it's always it's always great to see that that's that awesome. was um uh, i used to work uh, i used to work for silversmith brewing down in uh, niagara yes and people would come in and they'd be like well what are you guys known for and i'm like well the black lager is like amazing like flagship it's it's a great beer and um uh, that was kind of the easiest answer to like what to kind of introduce them to the brewery. But then it's, it's actually not too far off. Cause I mean, it is a lager. It is easy drinking, but like one, if you don't like coffee, you're not going to like that beer right. Two, uh, going from that transition of light to dark kind of made a, a bit of a too big of a jump. I found with some people hmm. and then same thing with like a lot of like, Hey, this is our IPA. This is what we're known for. But then it's like, yeah, if you have somebody who's only ever drank Coors Light in their life, they're like, oh my god, craft beer sucks. It's all heavy, hoppy, and brutal, and I'm never going back. Right. So that was that was a lot of part of the original mantra was okay. We need to have something that it's hey, I only drink Budweiser. Okay, here you go. This will be your best chance at kind of converting you. So. Yeah, gotcha, that was gotcha. the uh, that was the uh, thesis behind the uh, the Hellas and the Hayat. I like that. I like that. Uh, either of these, um, I mean, obviously the Hellas is like 
would you say flagship, but is the high air, is that like a, is that a regular? Yeah, high as a regular. Um, I would probably say our Dunkel, if I had to pick a flagship, would be the flagship. Okay. Just because it is the one that we distributed in the LCBO, where I started. Um, so, yeah, I, I like to think of that one as the flagship. But um, the two kind of really go kind of hand in hand because you kind of have the light and the dark. Gotcha. No, that makes uh, sense. Yeah. The, okay, sick. So then skipping back to the story, you – Got the keys January 1st, and then you opened in May. So it's a pretty – it's only been open for six months, the actual brewery. Yeah, yeah. Okay. May 20th, yeah. So just yeah, just over six months. That's a pretty quick build-out, eh? Like five months? Yeah, we – I basically had – I had some – our fermenters kind of waiting in, uh, funny enough, our landlord's other property that was vacant. Uh, we were storing them there until we got the keys on the 1st. Move those over. Basically, I had I signed a lease in July of 2021, so I basically had all that time knowing. Okay, I know where they're going. Um, I know which equipment we need. So just getting everything everything in line to be like, okay, which day can deliver? First week of January. Awesome. Lined everybody up, and uh, yeah, we had a little bit of delays, but um, yeah, we got a got in time for May two for us. That's awesome. Um cut off again but it's okay guys we push on it's it sounds like every 10 minutes that's hilarious what an interesting tech glitch this is hilarious it's like every 10 minutes like almost on the money is it yeah, yeah. i wonder why i've never had this before it's uh entertaining but it because you're going right back it's like 10 seconds between it um i love it so the uh, when you opened, so I had this one I want to tell you before. So we were at, my girlfriend has a, um, who's one of the, she co-founded the podcast with me and she produces it and everything, but she has a, a wine account and uh, like an Instagram account. So we always go to Niagara. We used to live in Montreal, which would have been when we met. Now we're out here in uh, in Hamilton. So we're stoked because we're 30 minutes from Beamsville now. And we're at um, back 10, uh, must've been August, maybe September. And uh, we we knew them back in the day. Um, do you know them back to themselves? You familiar? Yeah, yeah. I don't think I've ever been there, but um, I, I know the name. And yeah. okay, so we stayed there when we've been together since 2011. We stayed there when it was just an Airbnb, and the property was like um, he was like uh, contracting his grapes out to other people, type of thing. So he was growing them, but not for himself. So we knew the the couple, the owners, for you know 11 years, I guess. So. It's one of our favorite spots. We always go back and we're chatting with him afterwards. And he mentioned, um, mentioned you because, oh, there's a new brewery that opened up Newark. I'm like, really? Newark is the same, the same guy that I'd connected with a few years ago. So I looked up on Google, checked it. It's the same logo. I'm like, yo. So finished up at the winery. We went down. It was like seven or eight minutes around the corner. Um, super easy. Um, super impressed, like, you know, as you'd expect in a brewery, like a industrial zone type of place. Uh, we went in, uh, maybe it must have been August because it was just beautiful weather. Um, beautiful sunny day, great patio, uh, tons of space. Uh, we have a puppy, so dog friendly, which is great. Um, we had a couple of beers and got the food and it was some of the, I've telling you before, like no word of a lie, like some of the best food I've ever had at a brewery. Like I, I think about those fries regularly. It was insane. Um, so I'd love to hear sort of about the how it all came together, what you've been doing there, what on earth is happening with the food, 
Um, and you should be selling that seasoning, like the New York seasoning for the fries. God damn it. But yeah, man, I'd love to hear like how it's all come together. What's going on? Yeah. So, um, yeah, we came, uh, January, uh, we were trying to find a, uh, food provider for the brewery. So we actually, um, we, we didn't really want to run the kitchen ourselves. Um, I have, I have some kitchen experience, but I'm not a chef. So we knew that, um, we knew that we wanted the tandem. We, you want to, you got to have a brewery with good beer, good food and get those people that, um, that are going to come to you and stay versus come to you and okay, we're going somewhere else for the rest of the night or for dinner or whatever. So it's, excuse me, we really wanted to have kind of everything there. So we had a few people kind of express some interest, dropped out, couldn't really, couldn't really get the vision, hmm. even though we had the space already and kind of had mocked up plans and stuff like that. But um, it wasn't, uh, you couldn't really um, get across kind of the magnitude of what we wanted to do. Hmm. So uh, I ended up making a post on a Facebook group, um, I believe is, yeah, restaurants group for Niagara. And um, I was like, hey, Newark Brewing, looking for a couple like a a chef for a food truck or something to come in be kind of a permanent resident with us but uh run the food program here so three or four people had uh had recommended a company uh called blue collar catering so it's a couple guys that uh were partners and had a catering business and um a lot of people were really impressed with what they were doing so um, i talked gave them a call said hey if you guys are interested, this is what we're planning to do. If you're interested, we can kind of have a conversation about it. They're like, yeah, for sure. So we uh, shot the shit for a bit. Got along really well with uh, the two guys, me and Mike, and my business partner. And then um, decided that uh, they were going to be the ones that were going to come on board with us. Dope. So, yeah, they were helping us out with a bit of the renovations, got the kitchen going. Um, I kind of gave them my uh, general idea for what I wanted the – the food to kind of be, but I gave them pretty much the freedom to do what they want. And they came up with, uh, we like to call it an international eclectic menu. So we have a, um, we have a few kind of traditional uh, European dishes. We have schnitzel, we got bratwurst, uh, we got soft pretzels, um, things like that. And then uh, we did a Oktoberfest event as well. So we had like very traditional Oktoberfest food there, black forest cake, uh, half chicken dinners. Damn. Yeah. So, uh, they were really, uh, knocking the, uh, knocking the food out of the park and, uh, yeah, everybody that comes, uh, raves about the food. So that's awesome, man. It really complimented the, I felt like it was well, and that wasn't the answer I expected by the way, um, which is even cooler because they would have really had to figure out a menu that complemented the styles of beers that you're making. And you're exactly right that instead of people coming from a beer, you know, for one beer and going somewhere else, like we didn't have any plans to go anywhere else, but we were like, Oh, we're already out in Niagara. We've been to a winery. Let's go to a brewery. And it was somewhere new. We hadn't checked it out and having the food, you know, stayed around for two, maybe I can't remember even a third beer because the food was good. The, the sun was shining. We were just chilling. It was just a great time. Um, that's, uh, that's super smart, man. It's um, all of that really plays into it. And I feel like in this day and age, like you do have to deliver that experience to people who are coming by um, or as you know, why else would they sort of stop by? So not only, you know, 
if you're into this style of beer, which I imagine most people would be, it's some great well-made stuff as well. You, you serve them like kind of in a stein, if I'm not mistaken, or at least like a, a handled. Yeah. Yeah. We got uh, dimpled steins, very traditional of uh, Munich. Um, well, we did get the leader ones for Oktoberfest, but uh, we just do the, the pint ones for uh, everyday service. So we have those uh, for our German brands and then our Belgian brands, we have a, uh, a stemmed goblet. And then uh, we have uh, this glass. We actually got a Tiku glass there for one of our clients. So we keep uh, a few of these in the tap room for any, uh, any uh, specialty beers we do. Very cool, man. Yeah. It's a, it's a vibe. So, I mean, like in, like we sat outside, I know it was a beautiful day. So I don't, I think everyone was outside. So inside, like, are you obviously that's uh, what's popping right now for the next like six months or so? Um, is there any sort of like, are you doing any? You guys do regular events or um, what's the vibe on the inside? I guess it's just exactly the same thing. It's just you know you're switching over to like winter, so there'll probably just be different food menu and. Yeah, we uh, we haven't we haven't migrated from the food uh, the original food menu yet, but that okay. will be that will be coming. We're uh, we're going to do a fall, well, I guess pretty much a winter menu now. Um, uh, kind of change things up a bit, but we'll keep uh, we'll keep some of the staples that um, that people keep wanting to come back to. Um, yeah, so we got uh, we got about fifty seats inside. Our patio held about a hundred, so just about half. And then um, we do trivia every Thursday night, unless we have like a private event or a party or something we got to take care of. So we might kind of move trivia around need be, but uh, trivia is pretty 95% of the time on Thursday nights. Okay. And, uh, people love that event. Um, every night is pretty much a full house. So people go nuts for trivia, which was awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. There's uh, I, I see it's a pretty common thing in, you know, from, from Australia, people that love trivia, pub trivia was like the whole, like people lost their shit over that. That's dope. Oh, yeah. So as far as like the, the the styles of beer that you're making coming back to that so you said you know german and belgian talk us through some of the stuff that you've done so far like what did you launch with um you know obviously we're drinking four different beers in cans tonight so that means there's multiple different products in cans obviously you've expanded that can inventory and stuff like yeah tell us about some of the stuff you've done and some of the stuff you sort of you're planning to do and, and the direction that's gone yeah, so we have uh, we have four core brands. So we have our Hellas and our Dunkel that we're trying tonight, and then we also have a couple Belgian beers. So we have a Belgian Wit, uh, as well as a Belgian Double. Um, so it was um, with the Belgian brands too. It was it was stuff I like to drink, and then that was underrepresented mm. in the craft beer market. So like Belgian Wit at the time, you had you had Hogarden, you got Shock Top, and then it's like launched a Chambly and that was like pretty much it. Yeah. And, uh, so having, uh, having one of those, um, was, uh, definitely always on my core core four. And, uh, but having a version that was not, not so sweet, but more just kind of a subtle citrus flavor and, uh, weedy bread. Well, we hit that 10 minute mark. There we are. Look at you. Ecan, what's going on, buddy? It'll sort your shit out, fam. Interesting to read the Belgian, Belgian wit, though. Yeah, you're right. It's uh, 10 minutes. I don't know why the heck that's happening. Yeah, it's very strange. I um, thought it was because I wasn't moving my mouse, so I would do it kind of periodically. But 
Yeah, it's all good. It's not. It's not much of a an interference. So you got the. You, you make a good point. That there isn't many Belgian wits, so that's actually a, a really good point. I feel like doubles or double. You're right. This I'm always pronouncing wrong. Are more a little more um, common than maybe a wit, but still not super common. Yeah, yeah, and that was uh, yeah a style I liked, but then. Uh... Uh, the styles that are kind of commercially available are more on the kind of 7%, 8% range. So I wanted to take it a step back and be like, hey, I think there's a more kind of drinkable – well, I mean, they are drinkable, but like, hey, I can have two of these without falling off my chair kind of thing, right? So, gotcha. so ours is uh, is about 6%. Okay, perfect. So those would be the four core uh, brands that you're – you know, Hellas, Dunkel, Wit, Dubel. Um those were the four that you opened with. Yeah, yeah. Those are the those are the core four. Um, still our core four, and then uh, we have some seasonals we've done. So the peach season, we did a we added peaches to our Hellas, uh, nice. which complemented the beer very well. Um, so we did a bit of that on draft, but mostly in cans. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Oktoberfest, um, we had to uh, had to brew an Oktoberfest beer, so we did a we did a Meritson at the end of September there. And, uh, yeah, people, uh, a lot of people are coming up to me telling me that, uh, that's, that's their new favorite. So interesting. Is that going to be a regular or I guess that's just, uh, you, you get that, but knock that bad boy out every September. Yeah. I think, I think we'll, I think it'll be a one year one off, but, uh, we'll always make sure to brew a lot of it. It's <laughs> a good idea. I feel like they've been getting more popular though. I feel like I saw a, a, quite a few breweries do fast beers, um, this year more than normal, which made me very happy because they're phenomenal. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I have been seeing a lot of it. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that's the uh, that's the event that we want to focus on uh, being our our kind of best event year over year. So um, we had a, a two night uh, two night event uh, this year, and everything went amazing. But there's so many different ways we can build on it for next year. So I'm I'm really excited. That's sick, man. So then as far as the the other styles that maybe you'll start to branch out to, so in the Belgian realm, um, we talked about it a little bit earlier, but what, you know, where, what are you thinking in that side of things? Like like I think you mentioned the Guzlan Lambic earlier, which is pretty sick, which is a very exciting thing because that's a whole other entirely different process and situation. You need different spaces and the barrel rooms and all that type of stuff. What's the deal with that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Belgian, uh, Belgian styles, we want to get into, um, kind of doing one-offs every so often. So I want to get into doing a triple eventually, um, as well as a quad. I'd really love to be able to do a quad and, uh, almost, um, almost release it as a a vintage. Mm. Like, yeah, this is our, uh, 2022 quad. Well, won't be this year, but, uh, 2023, do it around like maybe like Christmas time and uh, keep it on, uh, keep it on yeast so you can age it if you want. And then uh, maybe keep some behind for us for the tap room too. And people can compare year over year and very cool. kind of see that. And then, uh, yeah, I, I'd love to develop a barrel program. Um, I don't know if we'll be able to do it at this location, just with the, uh, the amount of free space we have, but, uh, but we can definitely try. So that's dope. 
Um, what about the German side of things? Um, is there much more? I don't have the deeper knowledge of the the German stuff, but yeah, where where can you go on that side? Uh, that is, um, we can go um, we can go a little bit darker. So I've thought about doing kind of Schwarzbier, Black Lager. Oh, yeah. Thought about that. Um, we actually might um, we might do a one off of uh, um, a, a Weiss beer. Uh, German vice beer, try that out and kind of sub that in for our Belgian wit for a period of time and kind of see how that works out. Um, I'd, uh, one of the other beers I, I enjoy, I'm, I'm, I can't even remember the name cause you look at the bottle and you can't even really tell, um, the, uh, Doppelbach that's pretty, uh, pretty common in the LCBO around, uh, around Christmas time. And, uh, yeah, I'd love to brew one of those and just, yeah, silky, smooth, chocolatey, toasty, and just, yeah, amazing. So, very good. Yeah. Okay. So, that's the direction for that side. Now, is there ever anything like, would you ever sort of tap into the IPA side of things or stouts, sours, anything like that? Or are you pretty much not really going there? Uh, sours, I, I thought about doing like a Berliner Weiss. So we may try that at some point. Um, also, um, we do. Um, I want to get into having a experimental system where it's kind of doesn't necessarily have to be off brand. It's just kind of whatever whatever the the, the brewery people want to do, and uh, they can get creative. And at the end of the day, it's we got two hundred liters of something, and just try it out and do some fun batches and see where things go. And if it ends up like having a really good, uh, really good reception, we can do, we can do a bigger uh, batch down the line. Right. So that's smart. So that allows you to kind of move outside of those sort of boundaries that you've set, which is smart to set them in the first place. But you know, the German Belgian world, you're able to be like, okay, well now we can do a 10% stout on 200 liters or something like that, or a nice 7% hazy IPA or some shit. Yeah, and is the uh, is the world really ready for another IPA? <laughs> I mean, who at this point? Yeah, man, that's a cool point. I was going to ask though, like that's a that's a great you know everyone's doing them these days, and and it's almost like there's a, like almost like an expectation that like you're going to do it. So, do you ever have anyone come in or just in general ask, oh, look at the menu, like where's the IPAs or anything, or is that is it not really people come there knowing what you do? Um, some people do. So we actually, uh, we actually partner with a local guy, um, to contract brew his stuff. So he, uh, he makes an IPA with us on site and, uh, his brand's called off the hop IPA. And, uh, so we keep him like so far religiously as a guest tap. So that way, yeah, there is that option that if somebody goes, Oh, well, I only drink IPA. Well, it's like, well, here you go. We got one. one for you. See, that's cool. That's a good way around it. And that's full circle moment. You know, the uh, started contracting, and now you're helping out the next uh, generation. You know, That's yeah. Awesome. My uh, my boss uh, at Honeycomb uh, Cider, he like really helped and get me going and uh, helped me out with a lot of things. So it's a lot of paying it forward, right? So very cool, and it's important, I think, as well. And you know, in an industry like beer, it's not seen as a threat or, or crazy competition or anything, which I'm always very like. I think is very cool. That it's, uh, you know, 
the the like you said, this is a great because the solution you're helping somebody out. You're filling up tanks that uh, you know you can you're growing into, and you're also able to keep an IPA on uh, on the menu that doesn't carry the new brand, so you don't have to really worry too much about you know the integrity of the brand there. So like it's something else that's available on the list. So it's like a cool solution. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that was that was that's what made it easy for us to to jump on board with that. So yeah, okay, that's dope. You always wondered if like if people sort of research when they, before they come or if they'd rock up to a brewery, like I, there isn't a, a shit ton of breweries like you guys that sort of specialize in, in things that doesn't necessarily include the, the trendiest stuff or whatever. So I always sort of, I was curious if, if that's how, you know, many people rock up and like, when's that PAs, man, what's going on? Like, but at least, you know, you got something for them and I would hope that people would do their research before they come and know what their, uh, you know, what the the vibe is like obviously not all breweries are the same so it's you know it's important to, to suss that out beforehand but yeah man that's cool i like that yeah i feel uh beer drinkers um especially craft beer drinkers like most people i meet they're not really like hammered in on one style they they have some flexibility and they kind of like to try everything which is key yeah i'm just trying to think if that's I feel like with all the lagers right now, they got lumped in in a good way with um, with the trendy stuff. Like it seemed, you know, if you if you do on the trendy, you always talk about like lagers, like uh, hazy IPAs, pastry stouts, you know, smoothie sours, things like that are all kind of in this one little world. And lagers snuck their way in there, and I still think I imagine it's due to that's what. Oh, there's the ten minutes. Um. Yeah, I do like the crispy boys are in with the uh, with the with the trendy stuff. But yeah, it's like they they got the crispies and they're like, okay, they they got lumped in. I think that is helping people who may not have as much sort of an open mind, maybe about stars and stuff. They're able to um, you know discover something because the breweries that they would go to would have lagers, and they come to a place like New York and would be like, oh shit, like. These are all like traditional. Let's you know, learn something about it. They'll see something familiar and stuff. I think people who come up in beer now aren't how we don't do it the same way that we all came up in beer. I've heard people have told me and I never thought about it. Like imagine if you got into beer in 2022 and you think that smoothie sours with candy and all this crazy shit is normal and it's always been happening. And it's just, it's really hasn't. So like they miss that typical thing where you go, you start drinking lagers and you go to Amber and you go to Brown and Porter and Stout and then Belgian and then blah, blah, blah. And you, you, know, you move your way through all of the stuff and then you sort of taste everything. I think a lot of people skip that whole process, which is kind of where the question was coming from to see you know, what that vibe is. And maybe that's not everybody. Maybe it's just a real subset of the community, you know? Yeah, yeah. If I had to guess, I would say probably a subset because um, I feel like going from, especially if you're like, yeah, you drink Bud Light your whole life and that's all you've ever known, really. And then all of a sudden going from one extreme to the other extreme, like I feel like sometimes, a lot of the time it turns people off. I can see that. It's a lot to sort of take in depending on how open-minded you are. Like a lot of people like beer, but a lot of people don't understand really what these other things are and they'll hear something oh ipas are all bitter i'm like well actually no it's not or they might think that 
all of this, you know, clear yellow water beer is all grandpa stuff and it's all like uh, like Budweiser. I'm like, no, it's not. It's all very new. Like this high year is so different to the Hellas. Um, yeah. I don't know if we really spoke on that enough. Like there's so much flavor in this. For 4% is crazy. It definitely does not taste 4%. Um, which is very impressive that uh, that it goes like that. It's fantastic, man. Um, how about next one? All right. Um, so we'll go with the uh, the Meritson, the Oktoberfest. Hey, let's go. I'm excited for this one. Like yeah. I say, this has been a style I've, I drank a lot in the last couple of months. Uh, just fortunately, there was a whole bunch of these around. Um made me super happy um tell us about this one so is that how you pronounce like you're saying mars and m-a-r-z-e-n with the two things over the a that's how you say it yeah meritson yeah okay yeah so uh march beer so they'd uh brew it to brew it in the cold uh cold march store it um until uh until september for the harvest festival october fest mm-hmm and um, so actually, uh, we're kind of going back and forth uh, with which style we want to uh, brew because um, for Oktoberfest, you can either go the Meritson route or the uh, Fest beer route. So the okay. yeah, so the Meritson's a little bit uh, a little bit more amber in color, a little bit toasty, whereas the Fest beer is pretty much like a uh, a stronger Hellas essentially. Uh, okay, I want to go into that a little bit more because I didn't realize. I'm, once again, this has been fascinating for me to learn about all of these styles that I've been getting into. I just I didn't know that that's that's the the difference. So looking at that, I guess that's kind of like a it's looking different in the camera than what it is in uh, in my hand. Yeah, yeah, I would say it's got like a yeah, like an amber, dark amber. Yeah, I would say that dark amber, really nice uh, sort of off white, like meringue head almost, um, yeah. toffee. Caramel. It's a little roasty. Oof. Smells incredible. Cheers, bro. Cheers. Love it. Yeah, so um, at Newark, our our brand is uh, quality and tradition. So I was kind of hemming and hawing about uh, which style we wanted to brew for the Oktoberfest if we kind of wanted something a little bit a little bit closer to the Hellas or if we wanted to go kind of in between the Hellas and the Dunkel. So we ended up landing on the Meritson um, just because when you go traditional, that was very traditional, was the Meritson that was served at Oktoberfest. And then they switched it in 1990 for the Fest beer style, which I describe as essentially a stronger Hellas um, just because it uh, appealed more to kind of the, the, the worldwide community interesting is the a because this is 5.8 so yeah the the fest beers are probably closer to five yeah yeah pretty pretty similar okay um interesting so they basically just this was too hectic for uh the typical october fest crowd then yeah yeah i think i think that was that was uh what it was That's just okay. the, uh, the lighter beer um yeah resonated a bit more with yeah your kind of mainstream consumer interesting okay um and the fest beer so while it's stronger is it like it's not like lagged as long like this is brewed in march prepared for the the um 
the fest, the harvest? Like, is there? Uh, I, mean, I wish we could have done that, but uh, no. We uh, we brewed it at uh, near the end of August, so it had probably about a good four weeks lagering. Okay. Yeah, uh, we, uh, we actually packaged it. Um, I, I believe it was the day before the festival. Okay, so it was like right, you know, right, kind of, kind of close. Right. Yeah, two days because then we we had a day buffer there in case something went wrong. <laughs> uh, hey man, smart and look, it's as fresh as it can be, which is perfect. Um, yeah, I know. I really, really love this style. It's fantastic. How did it go down at the um, at the event? Uh, it was good. Yeah, we had a Friday, Friday, Saturday. So we had live music. We had Stein holding competitions. We had a, um, uh, features on our menu. Um, we got uh, one liter Steins in so people could order a liter, liter Steins. So I believe it was, um, it was 30 bucks, 30 bucks to get in. That included two, your first two beers. So people could use their first two beer tokens uh, for a liter Stein. Oh, wow. So that was uh, that was pretty neat, and then yeah, we had live music and um, had a best dress competition. Albeit not not that many people dressed up, but uh, it was nice to see some people dressed up besides me and my family. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, some people really get into this stuff. The Oktoberfest yeah. thing is like, uh, you know, people are into it. I guess it's going to get more and more, hopefully, more and more popular as as it goes along. Because I feel like I never really had interest in it until the last couple of years. Now it's like fascinating for me. Like I just, I love it. I feel like it's like this whole world of beer that like I never really understood enough. And I wonder if there's like a bunch of, but but it's like it's if I could take if I could you know walk into a brewery, I'm going straight for the crispies. You know, they might have a ton of IPAs, all the other things I'm into, but like this is definitely what you know what I'm looking for. Um, it's very cool. Um, some of the flavor profiles of this beer, since I'm jotting down some notes here. Talk us through what we're getting. Like, definitely getting that, like, sort of toffee caramel on the nose. Yeah, yeah, getting a bit of that. Um, I kind, I, I kind of like to describe it as a like the dunkel, but you don't, you don't have the chocolate notes from the roasted malt, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, you just have a little bit easier drinking, um, just more so toasty. Just a little, yeah, a little toasty. Um, do you know the hops or anything in this one? If it, if it, uh, so this one's just strictly bittering hops. Okay. And then uh, Munich malt and Pilsner malt. Cool. We uh, we went a little bit um, a little bit more heavy on the Munich malt versus um, what we'd use in the Dunkel. So um, yeah, just to kind of ac- accentuate that uh, that toasty toasty note. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah, man. This is this is some great stuff. Um, Okay, cool. So within like that's within the German realm. Um, are there other sort of like ones aside from like you got the Fest beer, or the um, the Oktoberfest, you got the the Dunkel, you look at the Schwarz beer. Are there other sort of like German styles in the darker side of things? Yeah, so you you have the Bach family. So you got Bach, you got Doppelbach. Um, so I can I kind of find that. Um, those types of beers and kind of Dunkel are kind of swimming in the same pool, sort of. Gotcha. So I would say almost like, yeah, I can't even really compare Bach to uh, Oktoberfest. It's, yeah, it's kind of. They're pretty different. They're like higher yeah. ABV or something, I think, too, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that's kind of 
nature of that style as well. Gotcha. Yeah, man. Uh, that's um. Oh, of course it was ten minutes. Yeah, man. I really like this one. This is fantastic, man. I really fuck with Oktoberfest. They're uh, such a great style. The as far as like the 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 area that you're in, based in Niagara, you know, you've got uh, only bench like you mentioned earlier in Beamsville, and you got a bunch of breweries in Niagara on the Lake. Like, how's it been being a part of that community down there? Like, have they welcomed you? Has it been like a nice little addition to sort of everything else that's going on? Yeah, yeah, it's been great. Uh, yeah, we got a good good little hub here of uh, breweries that support each other. Um, I went. Uh, we had a problem getting our, our can lids, so I called up Exchange Brewery. And I was like, hey, can I borrow a couple sleeves of lids from you? I'll return them later. And they're like, yep, yeah, for sure. So uh, people are definitely willing to help each other out. It's uh, great to see. Uh, we've had talks with Matt at Bench about uh, doing some collaborations and events together, and he's open to that. So, um, yeah, we've really been, uh, been welcomed to the community pretty well so far. That's great, man. And that's one thing about beer that I think is super cool because – you know, particularly in wine country, I know Bench were our client before they opened for our agency. Um, so I was sort of super familiar with everything that they were doing. And they were like the first real brewery in the area. And it was, you know, they're open till like nine where everything closes at five. So it like allows people you know, a bit of extra reason to hang around a bit, um, eat something and, and tr- drink something different aside from wine. And now with you guys around, um, it's definitely opened up that choice and it's made it more of a – you know, beer is one of the very few industries where having more than one next to each other or close by is not a bad thing. People yeah. want to do, they want to come down for a, you know, what do you, like a little crawl or whatever you want to call it, like, you know, check out a couple of breweries. And it's, it's sort of fun to do that, you know, whether it's they stick around for food or come in to crush something after uh, you know, a day at the wineries, it, you know, it gives people something different and something fun to look forward to whilst they're, you know, in the area, which is great, which is really, I think in that one specifically, it's, uh, it's very cool. Cause there's always been a bunch in Niagara on the Lake. And I always found that super cool and Bainville never really had that. So now with you guys there, it's awesome, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Niagara on the Lake has that, um, small town charm and, uh, has all the history kind of coinciding with it. So it's like, that's been a tourist hub for however many years. Um, so naturally there's going to be kind of more going on there. And, um, yeah, always the saying is it's like, why do people come to Niagara? Cause there's multiple wineries, not cause there's one, right? So if there was one, nobody would come. Um, so, so our, everything is complementing each other. Um, yeah, yeah. And, uh, the town of Lincoln is, uh, really committed to putting Beamsville on the map, Lincoln on the map for a tourist destination. We got great wine, great beer. Um, a lot of natural beauty here too. So yeah, yeah, it's on the up and up for sure. That's awesome. Have you noticed that, um, there's a fair bit of wine traffic, I guess, you know, people who are in the region because of wine and then they hear there's a brewery and they're like, Ooh, let me check this out. Have you seen yeah, yeah, the two, the two kind of go hand in hand. Right. So, um, we do, we deal with a few, a uh, few tour groups that, um, I'm sure we're strictly wine tours and then they kind of shifted into brewery wine tours and uh, mm-hmm. it's good. Um, it's good to kind of get, if you've been to six wineries in a day, it's good to kind of get that little change up, um, change up for a, a brewery. And then um, also if, um, I mean, it's a little stereotypical, but it is the truth that you had a husband that doesn't want to be on a wine tour for forever and 
kind of keep them happy by stopping at a brewery, right? I was going to mention that was the old stereotype of that. And, you know, it's uh, not always true, but it definitely can be true. And it's uh, it always makes me laugh. But, yeah, man, it's definitely like part of the thing when we were trying to figure out who the clientele were for bench. That was something that came up. Like it was the dude who was maybe not necessarily dragged along but wanted a change of pace. You know, men typically drink more beer than women, though that is a bit of an antiquated thing. I think I feel like women drink beer somewhat equally now. At least it's got to be pretty close. But it's um yeah I think it's a key to, it's a key respite from just you know ha- having wine all day and it's a, you know, wine's a lot hectic you know, a lot more hectic and now you've got a whole bunch of really crushable things along with some fantastic food to to pair with it so you know wine all day you might have even had some cheese or some other little snacks that have been pairing with the wine so it's keeping in with that spirit by having these fantastic beers that pairs perfectly with the, with the food that's you know, very curated and stuff. So it's, um, yeah, I think you guys, it's important to have what you do in, um, in Niagara. And I was stoked when Andrew at back 10 told us about you to say, Oh fuck sick. Like I knew about bench obviously. Um, but I didn't know you were there. I know it's awesome. Um, it was a really great experience. We only went to one run. We just hung out there for a few hours and then we're like, all right, I don't want to go home just now. I mean, let's just do something else. Um, are there more breweries coming to Beamsville specifically? Um, not that I'm aware of. Okay, but um, yeah, we're not uh, we're not too big of a town. I think we're twenty eight thousand people. Twenty eight. Okay. Uh, I mean, there's definitely room for it. Um, we're a tourist destination. There's I want to say. I think there's over 30 wineries in the bench alone. So like we are getting that there is, there is the opportunity there. Um, I think uh, probably uh, another town near us, Grimsby, I, I think they could probably use one. So I, I would see some, somebody probably making that their home first. Before coming there. That's a good point. Cause I think Hamilton's right next to Grimsby and then Beamsville. I yeah. Cause you got, down the QW, you got, uh, you go Beamsville headed to Toronto. Grimsby, Stony Creek, Hamilton. Stony Creek, okay. I always include Stony Creek in, in Hamilton, but yeah, I guess there's no, not, I don't think there's a brewery in Stony Creek, but uh, no, no. but there's a bunch yeah. here and obviously moving forward. Okay, I don't know if there's anything in Oakville. Uh, obviously there is in Burlington, but yeah, that's a good point. It'd, it'd, it'd be cool to make it this kind of like, you know, down the whole QEW and you can just stop off at something. Um, which is cool because I feel like it's uh, it speaks to the the fact that you're opening down there and you've oh they've seen you like you said you you know grew up in Niagara Lake but the fact that you still chose to open a business there obviously that was a business decision not a personal decision um, and it's great that you felt that it's a viable thing to have a business in uh, like a, a brewery in in Beansville. I mean obviously Ben's kicked that off a few years back but it's cool that the you know, breweries weren't always situated right next to wineries. You know, like the Napa Valley is not like, you know, Russian River is not too far from it, but it's not, you know, they're not like equal. There's like, you go to wine regions for winery. I bet if you went to Burgundy in France or whatever, there's not going to be breweries all over the place type of thing. You know, like wine regions are there for what they are. So, I don't know. Does it seem to be a North American thing to have a brewery? come into a wine country i I think so yeah and like um like our area is very unique it's you can be in one portion of beamsville and 
feel like, yeah, you're in the middle of wine country. And then another portion is, okay, I'm in almost like a bigger city, like the feeling that you get from it. Right. So, um, and that's kind of like where the separation too happens between the breweries and the wineries. Cause the nature of the brewing process, it's really hard to have a brewery kind of out in the middle of nowhere on septic, on a cistern, like it doesn't really make sense. So it's like, we don't have the luxury of that and kind of banking on our, our landscape to kind of draw people in. So we have to literally get a little bit more creative. So having us on in an industrial area gives us all the benefits of being a manufacturer that we are on municipal water. We're on municipal sewer. Things are easy on the production side of things, but then, okay, now we have the added, added disadvantage of we're not on main street mm. or we're not out in the country where we're going to gravitate people normally because of the scenery so we got to get a little creative to draw people in where it's like, okay, this is going to be kind of the most picturesque experience, but Hey, we got good beer, good food. We'll have a good time here. So that's what we focus on. Right. And how have you been able to, uh, that's a good, that's a really good point. Like how have you been able to let people know, like how have you been able to sort of spread the word? Cause that's an interesting thing. Like, you know, when you're not on the a main drag, which to be fair, most breweries are not. Like most breweries are out of the way and people search them out. Um, how have you been able to sort of spread the word and get in touch with the community and let people know that you're around? Uh, so the added benefit for us is that our building does back on to the service road or the highway. Okay. So you have that going for us, but we're not, we don't have an entrance from the service road in. Gotcha. You kind of do a little dipsy doodle through the industrial mall so uh, we've put a few directionals. Um, we're just off the main Ontario street off the highway. So we put a few directionals in to kind of guide people to our spot. Uh, I had actually approached the highway. Oh, 10 minutes approaching the highway. I think there's highway signs. If that's what he's about to say, I actually always want to know how that works. I'd actually uh, approached the uh, highway signage uh, company about getting a directional off the highway for us. And uh, they said our uh, our, our uh, exit was saturated, so they weren't able to do it for us. Uh, we can put it on a waiting list. So I was like, okay, well, we'll try to make do with what we got, and try and guide people here off the main drag. Uh, so we've been doing that. Uh, we've had the 97.7 deal, so we got a lot of traction with that. Getting the word out, especially because we, uh, we launched that pretty close to our opening, so kind of coincided well. Um, we have a dedicated uh, social media person, uh, Hillary. So she's, uh, she's killing it on the social media side of things, getting the word out there and uh, seems our follower base is growing exponentially. So that's good to see. And uh, yeah, kind of do kind of little things here and there. We try to uh, try to give back to the community by kind of donating to fundraisers, things like that to try and get the name out. That's dope. The highway sign thing. I've always wondered how that works. So is it a private company or is it the government or like the local city or whatever? Those it's blue, a, the blue ones, it's right? Separate, yeah, the blue ones. It's a separate company. I'm not sure if it's government-based though, but it's like, yeah, it's not like the Government Ontario website. And uh, yeah, they charge you uh, per year uh, signage fees. Uh, different ones are obviously different prices. So if you want the ones with your logo on it, on the highway uh those are about um 
4,500 each way. Okay. And then what about those ones where they're on, you know, they're on like, they've got the blue signs and they might be like Fielding Winery, Rosewood, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I think those ones are, those ones are significantly cheaper. I think those are more of um, about like 250 bucks for the year. They're not, they're not that bad. But you couldn't even get that because it was too saturated for that exit. Um, I've been, uh, I've been, I've been in talks with them. Um, they generally like to add on to ones that are kind of already existing. So because we're, we're not really following the, the normal path of the wineries and things like that, there's not really one that would kind of suit us right now. So when you say that, what do you mean? Um, cause like you'll, you'll go up to an intersection and they'll have one of those where it's like, okay, you go right for this place, left for that place. So they're, they're more interested in like, okay, could we add to that sign versus, okay, we need to get a separate sign that just has Newark on it. Hmm. Cause we're the only one around, right? If that makes sense. Yeah, I think I get it. Okay. So they're just trying to like, but they won't even take you as a customer for the, cause I thought that blue one was the most, um, we'll hit that down the wrong way. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I always uh, wondered if those I always thought the blue signs were the most powerful ones like I to be honest I can't even really f I know what you're talking about the directional ones when you're off the exit and you pull up at the thing and it would be like you know gas station this way McDonald's this way or whatever and then this winery and then if you go this way blah 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 like that's that cool to me as a driver that's not super important because I already know where I'm going but if I'm driving and I see those blue ones where there's not at most, maybe there's like four stacked up, which isn't that many. And I always like, I'm always on the lookout for, I always look at that. And I feel like that's the one I pay attention to. So if I saw you on that blue one on the way in, I would have known that you were there. I don't know. I feel like that's the key one for my personal experience for some reason. I just, I just like that. Yeah. 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 I would, I would, I would say I would agree. Um, I feel like these days too, how much those things are actually helping. They're probably more just advertising at this point because everybody seems to GPS everything, right? So, I mean, yeah, that's true. But it's more like I, I definitely agree with that because that's how I roll. I don't know the areas super well. So it's like, you know, particularly coming from Hamilton, we're just in Montreal for a decade and then coming here. I didn't know the city really. So every time I get in the car, I'm just like, all right, well, like, I'm starting to get it, but whatever. I, I don't know if I could wing a lot of places without knowing. And also, it steers you away from traffic, so you don't fuck up and then get stuck in a, you know some sort of terrible situation. But what I do pay attention to is when I'm driving on the highway. You know, when I used to drive back and forth a lot from Montreal to to come to Toronto, I'm always seeing those ones on the highway. You know, not necessarily in the Niagara side of things, but I watch all the different things. I'm like, oh, we're going through Bowmanville. There's um, Oh my gosh, I had to, I had to blank the name of the brewery. So it was C, but it will come up. Chronicle. Um, you know, you're going through the different things. You'll see all the different breweries that will, will know. I'm like, ah, oh, cool. They got the sign. Sick. All right, it's official. I don't know. Something about it, not knowing how it worked, was always super cool to me. And yeah, I'd take like a mental note. Yeah, I'm not going there right now, but I know that next time I'm there, it's on the list. And particularly for you being where you are, there's more of a chance that, I don't know, at least me, I will be there at some point. So to know that's where you were there, like if Andrew at back 10 didn't tell me, I don't know how long it would have taken for us to figure out that you were there. Right. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. 
that was it's very qualitative uh, feedback, but I just think it's pretty. I just think those things are kind of cool. Um, yeah. Okay, that's dope, man. I like that a lot. Um, what's the sort of future plans for the brewery and the space then? Like, can you do much more? Like, have you, you know, can you build out the patio? Can you add cornhole or something? Like, have you got any, anything you can do there? Yeah, yeah. We, uh, we actually got some lawn games um, later in the summer last year. Uh, we got cornhole, ladder toss, um, and uh, giant Jenga. And uh, so those have been pretty popular people. Um, but yeah, I want to, uh, I want to, if I had kind of all of the money in the world right now, I would, uh, I would expand our patio and do a permanent covering. And then uh, the idea would be that we could hold about 150 to 200 people outside. You got a full covering, uh, kind of make it into uh, essentially like a little oasis where you kind of don't really know you're in an industrial area. Hmm. And uh, make it so uh, prettied up real nice and make it so that we could host weddings there and uh, be kind of an alternative option to uh, a lot of the wineries. That's sick. The area, the grassed area right next to the patio, is that yours or is that like a neighbor? Um, so technically all the grass is owned by the landlord and that property. Our lease only extends to kind of where the grass was cut, where it's kind of a definitive line. Uh, we've kind of been in talks with the landlord about um, utilizing that space and having it available to us to expand into eventually. So um, we might uh, we might do something with them down the line if we want to make that that spot our permanent home uh, for the long run. But uh, we'll see. We got some other lines in the water, so it kind of determines once we hit that kind of three year mark uh, which way we want we kind of want to go. Interesting. That's actually smart, like not committing, you know, because as soon as you start getting more land and then doing more things, say, hey, can we build this here, blah, 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 like you're sort of tying yourself into that location like forever when it's been, what, six months? Exactly, right? And it's like um, if they want to eventually tear the place down and build a apartment building there, we got to go somewhere else, then we're, okay, how much did we invest in this spot? We can leave that and kind of wipe our hands clean. Oh, hmm. yeah that's smart um, I mean what factors would you consider because this is a good question for people once again who are watching who are looking at you know doing this themselves or just curious how it works like what factors would determine whether you would stay or leave um, basically kind of what we could negotiate with the landlord if they want us to be if we're in their long term plans then it might be easier to stay okay. um, if not and it also depends on kind of the opportunities available to us, like commercial, good commercial properties that are suited for what we're doing are kind of a dime a dozen. So I kind of keep my eye out, but even then it's almost a little bit too early. So it's like, you have a very confined window to mm. where you can find something that you could officially move to and uh, not disrupt your business <laughs> quite, uh, quite yeah. radically. Because you'd have to move all the tanks and that would be an ordeal because then you had to dig if, if it's not already pre-prepared for a brewery, I guess you got to dig the, the, the what do you call it, the drains and all that type of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So depending if we're yeah buying something uh, already, already up or if we're buying some land and building something ourselves, like that's that's open to discussion too. And then uh, obviously you're talking big bucks here, so. Uh, it's a bit of a different beast. So um, 
but yeah, our building right now, the way it is, uh, we could expand pretty significantly, but um, we know we're eventually going to need a bigger space. So, right, it's kind of which direction we go into. Gotcha. Well, look at that once again. The timing, yeah, it's got they've got like a really big like car park kind of situation, and then that space next to the brewery. The um the parking lot is pretty big and I feel like there might be a part of it. It felt like you could possibly expand into that. Like if you came kind of straight down or if you went across a little bit maybe, but then like those type of additions to a building are not small. Yeah. So I see that. I guess I, I yeah, most, I don't think I've really heard people talk about it like that before. And that's, that's smart. It's just making sure, like you said, keeping your options open and whether you are in your landlord's long-term plans. I think that's a very important thing. And I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that because the landlords at the end of the day, they're not just sitting on their ass. Like they might want to do something with this property. Like some of them are just like, cool, whatever it's taken. Yeah, man, go nuts. But, you know, if they do, like you said, want to build condos on it or something like that, I mean, that changes that could, that could ruin everything. Um, yeah, exactly. Right. And especially if you're a landlord, your landlord could be somebody that's like in their sixties, seventies, that that property is their retirement fund. So they could be looking to sell that and, um, whoever buys it, you're kind of at the mercy of what they want to do with it. So that is the problem with renting, I guess, particularly, uh, a space like that. Did you have to physically like do the usual and, you know, dig, the, the drainage and all that type of stuff, like do concrete work and shit? Um, so we did a little bit of concrete work. So the the uh, the building we actually got had uh, floor drains in it, which was nice, but they were just uh, single floor drains, so we had to convert them to trenches. So, um, yeah, that was that was one of the main main projects we over uh, had to overcome. And then... Um, we had thought about doing some more drainage because the way our uh, configuration originally was, uh, we had the kitchen in one spot, but there was no plumbing over there. So we would have had to dig, cut uh, the concrete, put uh, put plumbing in for a uh, a sink near the where the kitchen would be for the health department. Um, so we had to kind of uh, rejig things and uh, change out the layout and. Uh, that's how we got to the layout that we have now because everything, all the plumbing is behind that wall where the kitchen is. Gotcha. Damn. The health inspectors really like all the city really like determining how shit goes, eh? That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. There's certain, uh, certain aspects they don't bend on. So you go do what you got to do. Interesting. Okay. I never really thought of it like that. Um, very cool. Shall we hit the, uh, the dunkel as we yeah, uh, sure. bring it home? Um, so this is the OG, the flagship, where it all started. Come here. There she is right there. Look at that. Glorious. Um, tell us about the Dunkel, man. I mean, this is a style that I think is phenomenal. And I feel like um, not super common. Like you said. Yeah. yeah, so uh, German style brown lager. Dunkel's German for brown. Um, oh shit! Or sorry, not brown, dark. Dark. Okay. Hellas light, dark. Dunkel. Schwartz is black, hence Schwartz beer. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, um, yeah, we really wanted to kind of find, uh, find a beer in that's that space kind of between light lager and stout that, um, is kind of leaning to one side, but pretty much like smack dab right in the middle. Mm-hmm. So, um, this guy's brewed, uh, Pilsner malt, Munich malt, and a little bit of chocolate malt for color mainly. And that hint of, uh, hint of chocolate. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, making sure that the beer is still, uh, Easy drinking and uh, yeah, more than one. And feel great. Love it. It's got a. Uh, I'm gonna show it in a second. Really nice head. Um, on this, I had this on tap at the brewery, and it was fantastic. I remember the the girl said to me, "She's like, oh, it's like a dark lager." I'm like, "Yeah, it's it's, it's all good." But I thought it was interesting that you had to tell somebody that and i was like it kind of comes back to what you were saying earlier that sometimes people are a little bit scared of something and you do have to warn them that yes it's a lager but it might not be what they're picturing you know so cheers brother yeah cheers that's fantastic so the difference I mean, I feel like this is significant. This is well, I don't know if significant is the word, but it's less sweet than the um, uh, than the Oktoberfest or than the Marzen, and it's definitely it's drier, more bitter, um, less of that sort of like super toffee malt. Like it's still toasty and roasty, but it's not like that caramel as much. Um, so it's technically supposed to be a brown lager. So it's like darker than an, it almost kind of looks like a brown ale, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So I always, uh, I always describe, I'm like, you know, like Lambert lagers said, it's like caramel, toffee, sweet. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is just more toasty. Yes. Um, I can definitely get that. And I think it's kind of cool, man, that you have like a, um, a, a dunkel as a, as a flagship because I feel like it's like, you know, I know that uh, I always appreciated um, Silver Smith that you were talking about earlier. Their black lager is fantastic. And uh, we had Chris on the pod and he was talking about, um, you know, you go to a beer festival, people coming up and wanting to try a beer and they're like, Oh, black. Oh no, no, no. Like, no, trust me, just try it. Once you, it does not taste like a Guinness. It's very different. And then people are like, Oh wow, this is, this is great. I imagine that, you know, similar challenges with it be like this because it's really not that different as far as like color wise i mean it's you know, more brown than black but equally as potentially scary to somebody who wants you know clear fizzy yellow water which obviously is incredible stuff um is that something that you typically would have to do when people do want to do a sample or do you like hey look just try this two ounces of it and trust me you'll want to grab it yeah most of the uh festivals and stuff we've been to it's kind of like we'll generally take kind of the hellas and the dunkel and then you kind of have that lighter dark option um and i find like a lot of people gravitate towards the dark hmm. i feel like it's a it's a growing uh, growing uh niche and um a lot of people too um especially like when we're out selling um, a lot of bars and restaurants don't really have something kind of in this range. So they go, they'll have like all their light lagers and then they have like either Guinness or a stout 
craft stout or a craft black lager, but there's never really anything in this realm. So mm-hmm. this I find kind of gets the, the people that it's like, Oh, like I want something like a Rickards red or like something a little bit dark, but not yes. Yeah, stouty. Right. So, it scratches that good medium. Mm, that's a good point. Do the licensees typically want to fill that gap? Like, is that something that they're looking for or they don't know that they're looking for it until you present it to them? Being that there's not like, they're not getting overwhelmed by a style like this every day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like it is um, a lot of, a lot of places. Yeah. Like, like that dark option. But I mean, like at the end of the day, like every place is different. Every manager is different. And right. you have to kind of, learn to roll with whatever they're thinking and i've gotten to places where they only do light beers and the thought of having a dark beer is like a big no-no so it's like okay well yeah we won't even we won't even venture down that path so right yeah uh, if uh places have um just like beers and it's like okay like you have nothing nothing even close to dark like it's like it's this is gonna fit like a, a niche where somebody that doesn't drink light beers will order this or they'll order nothing. Right. So like you said, and I, I don't know why I forgot Rickard's red existed. And so I hadn't thought about that for quite a while, but it's almost like it's hitting that amber market, even though it's like slightly darker than an amber, it's still hitting that. And from what I understand, there's still a pretty significant, you know, portion of people who do enjoy a good amber um, lager. It's really big in Quebec too, like amber ales. Uh, they call them Roos out there, which I guess is a combi- combination of Irish red and cream ales, from what I understand. Um, like so many breweries do the, to this day, and it's super popular um, across the province. So I always like kept that in mind, like, you know, Amber's as much as it sort of didn't get the popularity that, you know, the, the lighter ones got. It was always sort of, you know, and they have their market. Um, yeah. I feel like this could yeah, my dad, uh, my dad, like religious. Oh, we hit that time. I want to hear what the what his dad does. Uh, shouts to the flags in the background. See, Australia, Canada, right? That you like that shit? Yeah. Yeah, my dad uh, like religiously drank uh, like Rickard's Red. Anytime we go to a bar, or restaurant, he'd be like, "Oh, what do you have on tap?" And we'd be like, "Rickard's Red." He's like, "Yep, yeah, I'll drink that." And yeah, just like a, something a little bit darker. And uh, yeah, because uh, Molson brews Rickards. So uh, when I was at uh, Molson, they actually had, um, I don't know if you ever had it, but uh, they had Rickards Dark. I'm so sorry. basically, uh, because they brewed high gravity there, so you would go, the tanks would be about like 7% uh, Rickards Dark. And it, I, I basically describe it as kind of like a chocolatier version of our Dunkel. Okay. It was just, oh, it was just so good coming straight from the tank and just that 7%. <laughs> but yeah, it was, a, it was a great beer that they uh, they got rid of. So That's a shame. That's a shame. But you never, you never saw it in bars. Like it was only ever at the beer store. And yeah, I got that like religiously for a bit when I worked at Bulls with my discount. <laughs> Love it. Love it. It's not, I, I guess, I, I guess um, it's, it's a style that's a little more, once again, like a little, it's not going to be the, the one that everyone's drinking. It's always going to sort of, you know, convince people. Like I can see why it wouldn't always be on tap or always wouldn't be available. So it's a bit of a different, um, yeah. And particularly even back then when you were there, it was like 
seven, eight years ago, right? So it was like, you know, an absolutely completely different time. But it's, uh, I feel like there's more of a chance of, you know, a star like Dunkel actually sort of getting a bit of traction and, um, you know, making some noise and converting some people because it's uh, like, I feel like if I hadn't seen it with Silversmith with them really leaning into the Black Lager and I thought that was just an, such a, okay, it seemed like a ballsy move, but it's a great beer and they've really gone into it. And I feel like since you've been there and that you could, you know, you guys have really like hung your hat on the Dunkel. Uh, and I think that is super cool because it is so unique. It's very memorable and it's a great beer. And I feel like it really could convince a lot of people, even if, you know, there's still a lot of people still drink Rickard's Red, I would imagine, or yeah. similar styles. Yeah. And I feel like it bridges that gap like very well, where it's like you could get stout drinkers drinking the Dunkel and you could get Amber Lagers people drinking the Dunkel. So mm. it's like we have that where it's like, hey, you don't have anything dark on your menu. Well, this could be your dark option. Oh, you already have like Guinness on the menu. Well, this can kind of be your midway option. That's awesome. It's like, yeah, you're you're kind of hitting all those markets. And it does. And even as you're saying that, I'm like, I'm tasting what I'm tasting, and it it absolutely could scratch both itches. Like it can definitely represent the amber side because it isn't over the top, but it is definitely very. Um, it's not that far removed from a Guinness. Like it's definitely different, but it's not that far off so it could definitely replace that if that's something that you know they wanted to do so i like it man uh more power to you on that one i love it i love it it's cool to see like a great style um popularized and um i'm not gonna lie it turned me i like i said i grabbed this on top i think i had the the high yeah at the brewery and then i had the i was like eating the food i'm like oh i need another beer and i'm like i'm looking i'm like i want the dunkel right now i just wanted like a nice darker lager and it was once again hot as shit tank top vibe and everything was great and it was perfect with the food and um which is super important because i think a beer like this is so yeah it's like a, the words coming to me it's like charismatic as far as like the what it offers and it, it paired perfectly with what you had on the menu and i really grabbed a couple of things like i would have loved to try the soft pretzel and a bunch of the other things but i remember i think we got like a burger and the fries and something else um it just really worked well. So it's uh, yeah. it's good to hear, man. It was kind of funny. Um, so oh. I went, uh, this was actually, I think when I was just doing kegs, I went um, I went to a bar in St. Catharines and I was sitting down with the manager and I was like, oh, this is the Dunkel here. So it's like kind of like a good bridge between kind of light and dark. Mm -hmm. And he was like, oh yeah. He's like, yeah, it's be a good beer for like, yeah, like drinking in the fireplace, like in front of the fireplace and like cold night outside. And then he's like, yeah, I don't know if I like see myself drinking this on a patio in the middle of summer. And then he like kind of stopped and he was like, hey, you know what? And he's like, I guess I could. Yeah, I could see myself drinking this in the summer. And it's like, yeah, just like it, it's one of those beers that it's like, like it fits any occasion, right? It's kind of it's dark when it needs to be and it's crushable when it needs to be. I, I definitely agree. And as someone who did drink it on a, on your patio in the middle of summer, it was money. And it was, it, it was, I think it was, if I had it alone, it would have been great, but it worked extra well with the food for whatever reason. It was just, I, I guess, cause like, you know, a lot of, you know, the pretzels, everything sort of like 
and you mentioned a lot of the bratwurst and things that you had a lot of like Bavarian inspired, even if it's not exactly traditional, but it worked well with that. Even just a North American style burger, that was just really well seasoned and, and, and put together was just money. So it's, um, it's cool. I like, I like seeing this. I like the knowing that you're, uh, you're pushing it. It's uh, it's very dope. So what's next for you guys, man? Like what's happening? What's, uh, what are you focusing on? You know, being, it's only six months. You've got the, the one year coming up in May. Um, you got anything planned for the one year? Is there anything you're sort of really working on that people should keep an eye on? Yeah. Yeah. We got a, we got a big bash, uh, planned for the one year anniversary. Uh, I'm going to do it up big. Um, makes it easy too because it's on may 24th so that's awesome uh we got a lot of live music events um oktoberfest is gonna be bigger and better uh next year and every year and then um we have our stein club so um when you come into the brewery you can purchase your stein to sit on the wall for you whenever you come in gives you a cheaper pints and uh discount off of retail um first dibs on events too so that's awesome and um yeah, we got some aesthetic things we will kind of want to do around the brewery, kind of polish everything up a bit, make it uh, make it a real destination, and uh, really focus on that. Um, I mentioned earlier that Oasis kind of kind of putting you on our beer garden and kind of almost transporting you to uh, to Munich. I love that. Is that when people rock up? Like, typically, how many different beers are able to be purchased to go in cans? Uh, so any any time we have at least five. Um, oh, wow. right now we have nine, I believe to go nine. Oh, right. Shit. Yeah. we got our five, we got our five core brands. So we got the Hellas Dunkel, Wit Double and, uh, Hi Yeah. And then we also have the two off the hop brands. So off the hop IPA and then he came out with the stout as well. Um, and then we have the, we have some peach Hellas still as well as Oktoberfest. Damn. That's a great selection right there. Um, is there anything else coming into distro? Like, do you destroy through the independent beer stores as well as LCBO and, and grocery and such? Yep. So, uh, we recently changed our beer store offering. So okay. we got Hellas, Hellas and Hi Yeah going to the beer store, single cans. And then we're kind of going to build those brands and, uh, expand outwards with them. And then, uh, the LCBOs, the Dunkel right now, but actually, uh, the Hellas got accepted for the, uh, the tasting portion. So I'm waiting to hear on that. If it gets accepted as a full-time listing, that would be awesome. Um, and then, yeah, we're focusing on those three brands for distribution for the most part. But, um, if we have some, uh, some licensees that are kind of looking for something that's a little bit, uh, off the beaten path, we have our, uh, we have our specialty brands that we, uh, we can uh, make available to them. So um, we're looking to launch a beer club. I'd like to do that um, next year as well. Um, kind of do some funky things for, for that, uh, that club. So something that uh, you're not going to get if you just come in any random day. So very cool. Yeah. That's dope, man. Um, have you considered the independent bottle shops or it doesn't really make a lot of sense? Cause I guess it's uh, for right now, I don't know if we get the, the traction for that yet. Um, I'd like to uh, eventually be able to do that, though. And then uh, especially to like kind of focus on having some other outside brands in that are styles that complement us well, kind of give us a whole beer portfolio. And uh, we also serve local wine, cider, and uh, we're going to be getting into the spirits as well soon. So, um 
yeah, if you have somebody that um, is in your group that's a big craft beer fan, you can go there. And if craft beer is not your thing, like we got multiple options for you to partake in. That's awesome, man. Big focus on yeah, that's very cool. I think that's important as well, particularly based on where you are. You know, you've got a distillery close by. You got obviously wineries all around you. You know, some people might not want to drink beer, um, so it's always good to have those extra things. It's uh, you know, on on hand just in case. Very cool, bro. Um, I love it all. I feel like uh, I knew that would happen. Excuse me. Oof. Loving the Dunkel, man. This is such a fantastic beer. You should definitely get hold of it. I feel like Dunkels are like front of them. One last disconnect for good measure. Yes, that's what I was thinking, right? I knew I knew it was coming. Um, where can everyone find Newark Brewing online? Um, online, you can go to newarkbrewing.com. Uh, we have an online shop there. We're shipping Ontario wide. Um, you can also find us in the LCBO. Um, that's expanding pretty much daily. The LCBOs we're getting. So we're hoping to be Ontario wide with that. Hopefully two products, fingers crossed soon and, uh, beer stores as well. So we're expanding that mainly kind of Burlington down to Niagara right now, but, um, we're looking to expand that as well. Um, yeah, kind of uh, a lot of kind of bars and restaurants popping up every so often. We got a new partnership with the Toronto Rocks, so Hamilton's going to be getting littered pretty soon with uh, the Turf Monster Lager we did with them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, man. I love it. Um, I just want to get the uh, screenshot, and then we'll wrap it up, and we can uh, finish up off air here. Want to hold up a couple cans? Yeah. Let's see what I can get in my hand here. Beautiful. There we go. Oh, look, perfect. So I got the other two. All right. This way. Ready? Glorious. Um, I'm just going to wrap this up. Once again, yeah, stick around uh, and we'll wrap it up afterwards. But uh, Griffin, thanks so much for your time, man. Really appreciate it. Uh, it's been great to, to hear the story, uh, to to hear more about the different styles and stuff, to drink these with you. It's been uh, super fun. Congrats on all the success. Uh, excited to see where it all goes, man. Really appreciate you. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you very much. Pleasure, pleasure. Guys, uh, thank you so much for watching and listening. If you enjoyed the episode, smash the thumbs up. Hit subscribe below. Hit the notification bell so you know when the new drops. Follow us everywhere at BAOS Podcast. Check out the long-form audio. We drop every Wednesday, 8 p.m. Eastern. Right now, we're also doing the link-up series four. So there's going to be those dropping alongside the regular pods. And, of course, thanks again to Manscaped for sponsoring the episode. Use the code BAOS for it's either 20 or 25. Either way, minimum 20% discount. And particularly come up, you know, it's Black Friday, Cyber Monday next week. I mean, by the time you guys hear this, it'll be Cyber Monday week. Cyber Monday week is a crazy sentence, isn't it? Um... Uh, code BOSmanscaped.com. Guys, we'll see you in the next episode. Cheers.